Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Welcome to Sunday Take for August 13th, 2023. I'm your host, Blaise Olson. Well, the dull summer of Minnesota politics started to get a little exciting. After all, we have Representative Phillips thinking about running for president and Governor Walls in Iowa for the second time. That sparks the conversation that I think is deserved to have about Representative Phillips. We'll talk to him for an extended amount of time this morning about what issues he thinks aren't going to be talked about next year if the race is Biden versus Trump. And then my take about running for president, Representative Phillips and Governor Walls. But first, a message from Minnesota Corn. Look, we got some rain this weekend that was critical for the crops. Southern Minnesota still needs more, the rest of the state as well. But it's Minnesota corn growers who are making the air cleaner this summer, making it more breathable with their investments and their commitment to E85 and other clean fuels. Building that infrastructure throughout the state is critical so that all parts of the state can have access to cleaner fuels. Sustainability isn't just a word for corn growers. It's every day. Because if you don't sustain the farm... You can't grow your crops next year. You can't hand it down to the next generation and you can't build for the future. From soil health to water health to air, it's Minnesota corn farmers who are investing, acting, working to make sure that we have a sustainable Minnesota and not just on the farm, but throughout the state. That's the Sustainability Minute from Minnesota Corn. When we come back, Representative Dean Phillips. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. 
Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. As I mentioned in the open, uh, this week's Sunday Take is going to be a little different. We're going to have an extended conversation with Representative Dean Phillips. Much has been made, covered, and talked about with his comments that maybe Democrats need an alternative candidate. Maybe he would think about being that candidate. He started last week on Face the Nation with that conversation, and he talked to WCCO Radio's Chad Hartman earlier this week. But as Representative Phillips joins me now, I want to talk about the issues of 2024. What is the conversation the country should have? Because we've had so much conversation about personalities, about former President Trump, about age, about President Biden. But at some point, the country has to have a discussion about what we want to be going forward. And that's what I want to talk to Representative Dean Phillips about. Representative Phillips, thanks for joining me. Great to be with you, boys. Um, Without going backwards, let's look ahead. Um, As you're thinking about this for the next month, as you're having conversations nationally, set aside personalities. Are there issues that you believe need to be talked about from either a Democratic standpoint or as the presidential race rolls out that maybe won't get talked about if it's President Biden versus President Trump? I sure do, Blois. I think there are a number of policy issues, which we can also uh, discuss during our visit today. But I, I believe that the most important issue, the one that I'm trying to elevate, the people I'm trying to give voice to, uh, are the massive majority of Americans who are increasingly feeling politically homeless. Uh, I've discovered in my five years now representing Minnesota's third district, uh, a beautiful, diverse district of Democrats, Republicans, independents, of decency, that increasing numbers uh, with increasing volume and frequency are sharing with me their dismay about uh, a system that is disenfranchising the very voters uh, that it is uh, designed to protect and advance, Uh, People who recognize that extremists in both parties are pulling our two major parties to the corners rather than pushing us together. And I've discovered that I believe a majority of Americans are socially compassionate and believe in fiscal responsibility, both as individuals uh, and as a country and for our government. And they're not seeing either party delivering the products or the policies Uh, that really fulfill both of those needs. They're not mutually exclusive. To many, they're mutually mandatory. And I I recognize, based on just the data, not to mention what I'm hearing anecdotally, uh, that that's exactly what's happening. Uh, That is why we see apathy. We see distaste for the existing options. Uh, It is not for me to opine on who's good, who's bad. I'm simply giving voice to the truth, which is people in this extraordinary experiment in democracy are feeling less and less that they're participants, less and less that they're really represented, and more and more that they're being disenfranchised uh, by powers beyond their control, uh, by parties that have lost the ability to learn and deliver 
perspectives and products uh, that people are demanding. And I think there's something there that's a lot bigger than anybody wants to acknowledge. And the truth is when I am attacked by both the right and the left, I believe that are the, those are the moments, Blois, where I think we're onto something. And that's this moment right now. And that's what I'm trying to give voice to. And I believe the time to have that conversation is now, not in six months uh, or in six years. Uh, and I also recognize the, uh, the political consequences of so doing. There are no rewards. There are no incentives uh, to get out of line, to raise your voice, to raise your hand, and to speak what I consider to be the majority truth in our country right now, which is people are angry and uh, no one is providing the simple and reasonable solution. Representative Phillips, I've talked about this. I have a couple of presentations I give about insight, having a thoughtful perspective versus insight, which would anger or get people fired up, that those are kind of the two options in which people have conversations, run campaigns, things like that. You talk about apathy. I said to a leader uh, in our state last week that, you know, I look ahead to 2024 and the right looks at Trump as driving out their base and the left looks at Trump driving out their base and that, you know, you have to stay with President Biden because the risk of losing is too great. And it's it's almost like a basketball team that has a lead that is trying not to lose sometimes. Exactly. Um, and I said, you know, my biggest fear as a citizen is that at some point nobody will show up to vote. It's not that turnout will be higher because of that. Um, and when I talk to folks, and you and I don't live that far apart from each other, I live in a different district, but um, it's it's either they're just exhausted by the partisan or the politicians, or they just mock both sides. And that very few people on either side are passionate about the candidates anymore. Um, I want you to think about that as a candidate um, from your first term where everyone was welcome to when you were elected and you immediately had some critiques from people on your left, from your own party. Um, as you've had those conversations, um, where is the common ground? What is the, what is the thing that you hear that would bring us together rather than what they don't like in the current narrative? So, Blois, let me answer that in two ways, starting with when you say what is the common ground and how can that be um, affected? Uh, let me talk about what I'd like to see in a president. I, I believe future presidents should consider bipartisan cabinets uh, to ensure that voices from the right and left are represented at their table of advisors. You know, when in this day and age, when elections are decided by a mere few percentage points, I don't consider that a mandate. Uh, I don't care if it's a Democrat or Republican elected. And if we really want to give voice uh, to a, a very slim majority, but also the very large minority, the way to do that is to ensure those voices are represented. I've not seen that done. I believe it's time to start listening to the massive number of Americans who are sick and tired of politics, but also sick and tired of being disenfranchised by very moneyed interests, um, uh, by 
by a belief that the only way to access the levers of power and, and uh, in democracy is, is to pay for it. I would like to see, in addition to the state dinners that are hosted so regularly with heads of state and celebrities, I'd like to see a monthly dinner for Americans, randomly chosen Americans from all 50 states who attend a White House dinner with the president, the cabinet, to listen to real people directly, not through lobbyists, not through innuendo or television. I'd like to see people who talk about bipartisanship actually walk that talk. And the second part of my answer is this, Boyce, that people need to understand the game. And the reason that we are all, when I say all, I'm one of those who is feeling uh, disappointed about the increasing polarity uh, in our politics. And the game works like this. If you wish to run for office, you must become the nominee of one of the two major parties, for the most part. The only way to do that is to address the activist base of either the Democratic Party or the Republican Party, which by definition is not representative of the, of the majority of the country. And that means you have to take positions often uh, to satiate those demands. And then you go to a general election uh, in which most of the time the candidate from the left has to move to the right a little bit and the candidate from the right has to move to the left a little bit to now appeal to a much larger number of people. So the, the incentives are broken and people are absolutely right when they are astounded by the lack of choices and options in our general elections. And that's because we've handed the keys to the people who participate, which God bless them. Not only do I understand it, I celebrate those who participate. But what I'm hearing, Blois, and I think what the answer is, is for this massive number of Americans, both here in Minnesota, around the country, to start participating in that primary process. So the candidates that end up on the general election ballots are people that have been vetted by a much bigger cross-section of Americans. And our crisis is both one of fear, but also one of participation. And I do believe those are the two answers. Leaders who legitimately encourage voices of dissent in their decision-making and Americans to start participating in far greater numbers and recognize that this cannot be legislated or led. It has to be initiated by the very people uh, who are, feel so disenfranchised right now. Not only is it possible, uh, I think it's likely, and I'm simply trying to give voice uh, to these people right now uh, at a time where I think we really need it. When you talk about dissent, Representative Phillips, I think, um, <clears throat> you know, in my almost 30 years of analyzing and watching and more than that in my years when I was doing campaigns, dissent was always easy with the other side, but it's become more and more challenging within a party, which you've learned in the last week. But I don't want to talk about it from what you've experienced in the last week and a half, two weeks. Yeah. I want to I want to talk about it in your caucus. I want mm -hmm. to talk about it in Congress. You've been outspoken on issues against your colleagues. Your colleagues have been outspoken on on issues with you. Sure. When you have conversations with colleagues, when you disagree, I'm guessing it doesn't look like a Twitter fight. And I'm guessing one of my rules, whether it's a public affairs issue, a labor issue, is that at the end of the battle, you shake hands just like at the end of a game. Do you find any way to, that when you have dissent within your caucus, that you leave the room unified, you shake hands, or does that erode trust amongst members of a caucus who, in their own way, are posturing and positioning 
for their next victory, whether it be legislative or electoral? You know, Blois, that's a that's an interesting question, because I think many people can relate to the fact that sometimes it's easier to make up with friends than to make up with one own, one's own family uh, because it yeah. becomes so personal. And so uh, you're so vested and it's even more complicated. And the fact is that members of Congress and state legislatures around the country are, are just human beings and um and have complicated relationships. And that's true in the Democratic caucus, like it is in the Republican conference. Uh, it is tough sometimes. For the most part, the answer is yes. When we have disagreements, even um, immensely personal ones, for the most part, they're resolved amicably after some deliberation and tough conversations and people do uh, shake hands and, and move on. Not all the time. Uh, there are members of both caucuses who have, have great challenges, as same is true in the Republican conference right now, as you can imagine. Um, and there's a but there's a difference between how these issues are resolved, which are face to face because they have to be versus how our political environment is now so um, exercised on on social media platforms like like Twitter, where through anonymous screens, people treat di- people very differently, Blois, as you well know. Then yeah. you treat people when you're face to face and the lack of the application of the golden rule that most of us are taught as youngsters and um, uh, held accountable for as adults uh, seems to be dismissed in our political discourse online. And, and if I've had an epiphany in this last week and a half, have you, as you referenced, is the very clear disconnect between uh, the community that is on Twitter and social media platforms um, uh, having the arguments and the majority of people who are still engaged and care and participants, uh, but don't endeavor to demean and dismiss uh, and divide people. And I think that is the question of the day. The problem is we take our guidance from these social media platforms. You know, uh, too many people are relying on what Twitter is saying or what uh, it's, is is posted on Facebook rather than doing what we are supposed to be doing, which is gathering people face to face and hearing from them directly. And that is also a gap in our democracy right now. Too few people having real town halls, face to face, taking the heat, hearing the criticism, uh, once in a while getting a compliment. But <laughs> that, you know, that might be the calling of our era, Blois, is to encourage face to face. And I just, I'll wrap with this. In the last two mornings, I've been to two rotary clubs, uh, that have been a very impactful couple hours of my last two days because I see in these extraordinary community members who make it a point to come together as a community, uh, break bread, create friendships, people of very diverse politics in both of these settings. Mm -hmm. These are the people that are meeting in every town around the country, probably right now, having coffee and breakfast, talking about these very issues and wondering why they're not being represented. And they're the people who are doing it right. In fact, I should say the, the Rotarian you know, four-way test. Uh, look it up. That is the standard. That's the golden rule that I'm hoping to see applied. And I think most people in the country are arguing should be applied both to how we conduct ourselves online and face-to-face. I'm talking to Representative Dean Phillips on Sunday Take. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, what are the issues? What are the policy topics that Representative Phillips thinks America and maybe even Minnesotans are ready to have a conversation about. You're listening to Sunday Take on News Talk 830 WCCO. Welcome back to Sunday Take. My extended conversation with Representative Dean Phillips 
Representative Phillips, um, you've talked a lot about people. You've talked a lot about breaking bread. You've talked about coming together. You know, last year I did a 12 city tour of Minnesota. And the first comment I heard from most places was, thank you for coming to us. Post-pandemic, the idea that someone from the metro would travel around the state and have a conversation they were grateful that I was coming. And these were roundtable discussions about agriculture and the rural economy. But, but it was not lost on me that they were grateful that someone came to listen to them or to convene a conversation to them. Um, set aside social media, the, the, the Twitter uh, or X world right now. Set aside the partisanship, the personalities. What are the issues that are not being talked about that you hear that people want to talk about? What are the policy discussions and decisions that this country should have uh, and make over the next year uh, of this presidential election? Well, I'm going to start with the one that's at the top of my list that you to which you just referred, Blois, which is to be heard. That's a policy issue. It's a poli- it's a political policy issue that needs to be resolved in our country right now because the incentives force elected officials in Congress and around the country to spend a disproportionate amount of their time with people who have money because political contributions fuel this multi-billion dollar political industrial complex. As a result, people around the country increasingly feel unheard, especially in rural areas, especially in communities uh, without the same socioeconomic advantages of, of larger cities. And that ignorance, if you will, uh, that lack of attention, I think is detrimental to our country, certainly to our politics. And I think it's a policy that we have got to consider. We have to look at campaign finance reform. Why is it that members of Congress are spending 10,000 hours per week collectively raising money? And who are they raising it from? Where are they spending their time? If people feel heard, they feel engaged, and they feel like participants. And I understand Trumpism. I understand why 70 some million people voted for someone who they believed was giving them voice. I think these are many of the people to whom I'm referring right now. So one, a policy of being heard and incentives to ensure that happens. I'll say healthcare. It was one of the driving issues when I ran for the first time in 2018, just a few years ago. Uh, In my five years in Congress, Blois, the stories I have had to sit and listen to of families who've been economically ruined because someone got sick. These are people with insurance, some without. Uh, the fact that people don't know how to access care, the fact that we pay sometimes three to four times more for the same medicines that our friends in Canada or France or Germany or the UK are paying. Uh, the fact that we have so many people that cannot even afford coverage at all is a massive problem. Both parties have a responsibility to do something about it. Uh, I would argue immigration should be elevated right now. Two things can be true at once. We need border security and we need a thoughtful immigration policy. An overwhelming majority of Americans are descendants of immigrants, people who chose to come to this country to pursue opportunity and better lives. And everybody who is struggling to attract workers, retain staff right now, the solution is immigration. Uh, New Americans, by the way, I hear constantly from, are the most impassioned right now to protect our democracy because they gave up their entire lives to come here. And I think we should be listening to them and working together on immigration reform. I believe that pollution is something that 
is resulting in climate change, in resulting in unhealthy communities. And I think we should talk about it like it is. It's pollution. It is unifying. It is something that if we don't acknowledge is happening, Blois, we will be uh, burdening future generations with not just economic costs, but in increasing difficulty in surviving as human beings. It is the most common issue brought to my attention by young people, conservative and liberal. Uh, and we should start mitigating the effects, doing what we can to inspire the world to do everything humanly possible to reduce pollution, maintain our environment, and fulfill our core mission, which is to ensure uh, future generations can survive. Uh, these, and then last, I will say this, fiscal responsibility. Uh, today, I just heard on NPR that there are, a, for the first time ever, we have a trillion dollars in credit card debt amongst Americans. The average rate of interest on that credit card debt is 20%. Increasingly, families going into debt being overwhelmed with the burden of interest. The federal government is doing the same thing, Blois. We have $32 trillion in debt. The higher interest rates mean we are going to be spending in excess of $650 billion on the debt service, the interest. We are increasingly unable to allocate resources to take care of people who are struggling mightily, people without shelter, without food, children in, in horrifying conditions. So if we continue to misallocate our resources, spend so much more than we generate, that is a disservice to everybody in the country. It's a dereliction of duty for Democrats and for Republicans. So those are the four things, policies to listen and ensure people are heard, immigration reform, healthcare reform, and fiscal responsibility. That's what I hear every single day from the overwhelming majority of people with whom I visit and to whom I listen. Representative Phillips uh, is my guest. We're talking about the issues that uh, should there be a more open and op- you know, opportunity for discussion in a presidential race next year. What are the policy topics you bring up? fiscal responsibility, fiscal policy. Uh, You and I have known each other a long time. We uh, have probably some similar views on capitalism and markets. Much of uh, the Democratic Party, especially uh, the young Democratic Party, uh, leans and praises some more Democratic socialist ideas. Bernie Sanders, Ilhan Omar, some of them uh, even in Minneapolis, uh, a city that you love and invest in, uh, talk about rent control, talk about guaranteed uh, basic income, some some fundamentally different economic policies than we've explored previously as a country. Is there is there a discussion to be had or decisions to be made there? And is that the way to fill this gap between the haves and the haves nots? Or are there other ways that we need to um, help lift people up economically in this country? Uh, That's, I think it's one of the great questions of our era. And I I believe that two things can be true at once, Lois. I I think the arguments of of the left are absolutely reasonable. These are associates and colleagues of mine who are listening to people who are working so hard for so little, finding it hard to make ends meet. And I think they need to be given voice. And I think that's very important. On the, on the right, we have people arguing that the only answer is capitalism, unabashed, unregulated, uh, trickle-down economics. If, if the very top of the income scale does well, then money will flow to everybody and, and it'll be kumbaya. You know, and 
and so you have the far left that kind of demeans business. And then you have sometimes the far right that celebrates business and frankly, I think demeans uh, hardworking people. And I believe the truth is legitimately in the middle. I think we need a more compassionate form of capitalism. If we abandon it, uh, we will become a socialist country and I will stand in the way and fight that tooth and nail because that is the great differentiator of this country. With that said, can we identify ways to be more compassionate in our form of capitalism, to provide incentives for successful enterprises, to share more, invest more in community, take on some more of the communal responsibility we have to uh, ensure clean air and clean uh, water and that kids have good education and food on the table? I think the answer is yes. I think those who have been extraordinarily successful uh, should be excited if they knew that their government was allocating resources well, if they knew that their dollars were being used effectively and efficiently, I think we would see many more Americans willing to share a little bit more who've been successful to ensure that others have a chance. Uh, I think it's fair to say that, you know, we can do a lot better at ensuring equal opportunities. And then it is up to the individual for the most part. We cannot guarantee outcomes. That is exactly what America isn't. But we are an America that should be guaranteeing better opportunities, higher platforms for everybody. And I think the answer is yes, we can do both. We can have a thriving economy, exciting, innovative, growing businesses, and hardworking people um, doing better. And that's why I think, boys, healthcare reform is imperative. It is a significant cost driver to our country. We spend 18% of our GDP on healthcare. We spend twice as much per capita as any developed nation in the world. $10,000. And we have a health insurance industry that is removing tens and tens and tens of billions of dollars off of the table. Uh, and, and that's a problem. Uh, we are a unique country in how we, uh, how we handle our healthcare policy. And I want people who are listening to know the difference here. I would never advocate for a form of government provided healthcare. I think that is a, would be a massive mistake. I do think our nation should start considering ways to ensure that everybody has affordable insurance, everybody can access care when they need it, and nobody, nobody goes bankrupt because of illness. And the fact that we have not come together on that simple question that affects deep red Republican uh, neighborhoods the same way it affects deep blue Democratic neighborhoods is shameful, it's embarrassing, and it is yet another example of why money in politics protects the status quo and limits the courage necessary to attack our problems. And instead, people attack one another. Last probably question, just because we're running out of time here, Representative Phillips. Um, you talk about, you know, not a government mandated healthcare system, one that doesn't make us bankrupt if we're sick. United Health Group, one of the major players in national healthcare, very profitable company in your district. Have you had this conversation with them? Is there a new way? And I remind you that we had this discussion in 2009. We thought things were going to be fixed. And healthcare is one of the great studies of my life in how between cost and access, America thinks they want one thing, the politicians respond to that, and then they think they want another thing. So it is one of these issues that is so populist that it the mood of the country or the district changes based on where you are, who you work for, what your means are, if you're healthy, if you're ill, if you're not healthy. 
it, you know, talk about an exhausting conversation that America has had for 30 years. Do we have the energy for another one? Hmm. Well, I, I, your question was about United Health, and I, I have mixed emotions, and I'll explain them. Uh, the largest company in our state, one of the largest companies in the entire world, uh, headquartered right here in the district I represent that employs tens of thousands of Minnesotans, uh, takes good care of them, affords them handsome incomes, uh, and is a very meaningful driver of our economy. Uh, United Health, in my estimation, has, has done some wonderful things to improve healthcare, uh, to make it more efficient, more effective, uh, reduce waste. And I think they should be celebrated for much of that. Uh, they're a much more diverse company than I think people, many people recognize. But am I troubled by the fact that we have an enterprise generating net income of over $20 billion a year when so many people are going without coverage, are going bankrupt because of it, and the number of calls I get personally in my office because of uh, medical insurance-related issues uh, with them and other businesses? Yes, it's a grave concern. Uh, do I think they're playing by the rules? Yes. Do I think the rules should be at least debated, deliberated, and reconsidered? Yes, I do. Uh, because I think it is one of the great issues of our time. And it puts me in a position that very few in politics envy because you never speak out against a company in your district that employs many thousands of your, uh, your constituents. And that's also one of the problems in politics, Blois. And that's why I am standing up, getting out of line and speaking some uncomfortable truths. Uh, maybe that makes me unusual because I'm not in this for my whole career. I didn't come to this work because it was a lifelong aspiration and I won't do anything necessary to protect my job. To the contrary, I'm going to say it like I see it. I'm going to give voice to people who deserve to have theirs elevated. And that means sometimes going against the grain, going against even the enterprises on which we rely. I want to see United Health Group thrive and be in Minnesota, employ many thousands of Minnesotans. I also want to see us reduce healthcare costs and ensure that everybody has coverage. And I'm seeing way too many billions of dollars removed from the table that could otherwise be used to ensure that people are taken care of. So these are the great challenges. And I encourage people to look at it objectively, make your own decisions. You can condemn me, you can criticize me, or you can celebrate me. And I take all three in stride and respect it. I'm not perfect, I make mistakes. I don't always see everything perfectly. But I rely on people of different perspectives to share those with me. I would invite United Health to spend more time with me. I invite those who have concerns about the system, who have been harmed by current policy, to let me know as well, because that's my prerogative. And, Blois, I think you know this. The, as the only member of the entire United States Congress that takes no money from PACs, no money from lobbyists, and no money from my fellow members of Congress, uh, and nor do I give them money because I believe it's money laundering. And I think campaign finance and dollars and politics is the biggest disease facing our country because it encourages only those of act who can access are those with the money. Those who don't are disenfranchised. That creates division. And then we have angertainment. The angertainment industry would have us believe we are more divided than we really are. And as long as we encourage that gap, don't build a bridge to overcome it. We're going to be facing bigger and bigger problems for our kids. And it's time that someone raise their voice and get out of line. And I think uh, that time has come for me and I'm going to continue to do it. Representative Phillips, I know we'll talk more down the line, but I want to thank you for your time this Sunday morning. And uh, we'll keep following your journey here. 
And as somebody who in third grade got out of line, made an inappropriate gesture at a teacher and learned a very valuable lesson, I now choose when to get out of line. And I know you chose to get out of line in this case. And that'll be the theme of my take uh, as we conclude the show. So thanks for joining me. Thank you, boys. When we come back this week's take, what did I do in third grade that got me out of line, got some unnecessary attention, and what did it teach me? And how does it relate to today's politics? I'm Blois Olson. You're listening to Sunday Take on News Talk 830 WCCO. This week's take is all about the idea of running for president, or as Representative Dean Phillips said, stepping out of line raising your hand, asking tough questions. It reminded me of a lesson of mine from third grade when I stepped out of line. You see, the teacher wanted us to put the gym dodgeballs back in the crate in an orderly manner. I chose to step out of line and do it in a more fun way. And I was scolded. I was told to go to the end of the line for stepping out of line. I reacted by sending that teacher a message with my hand. No, I didn't punch her, but I flipped the bird. Yep. And I learned at a very young age that there's a consequence when you step out of line. And that is true of Dean Phillips. Contrast that with Governor Walls not necessarily stepping out of line, but maybe being in line or in his lane and teasing and flirting and going to Iowa. It's clear that Governor Walls wants a national stage, probably for his own good. After all, whether it's Governor Walls or Dean Phillips, the profile nationally helps you locally. But let's not kid ourselves. In today's politics, whether you're a Democrat or Republican, if you step out of line, there's a consequence. Representative Dean Phillips' consequence has been a pushback. But meanwhile, as Governor Walls puts a toe out of line, raises his national profile, and tries to find a place on the depth chart of the Democratic national candidate list, You must wonder, is he running for president? It doesn't need to be in 2024. It could be in 2028. As he goes to Iowa, as he travels nationally, it's important we track those movements. Because when Senator Klobuchar did it, or when Governor Pawlenty did it, those questions were asked. So don't let Governor Walls stand behind President Joe Biden in his quote lane because Governor Walls has more ambition nationally than Representative Dean Phillips. But the difference is Dean Phillips was transparent about stepping out of line and Governor Walls continues to play the game the way only he and his team know how. National Press will be a good filter of scrutiny for the Walls team. But local press needs to follow closely, too. That's the take this week. We'll be back next week. Who knows?
Maybe there's another Minnesotan thinking about running for president. Thanks for listening. I'm Blaise Solson. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 